I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 212. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. There's a movie that came out in 2016 telling the true story of Rachel Scott, who was the first victim of the school shooting at Columbine in 1999. The movie I'm Not Ashamed is available now, and the song that was written for the movie is titled the same. Abigail Duhon co-wrote and performs the song and said, When I read the script for the upcoming film, I was so moved by Rachel's story. Her strong faith is the inspiration for my new single, and it inspires me every time I sing it. What a lovely legacy Rachel left us to always be bold and stand up for what we believe, no matter what we might be facing. Now, Paul also mentions that he is not ashamed in Romans chapter 1. We'll get into that in a minute, but first... Let's listen. I am not ashamed because you give In Romans chapter 1, we stumble upon a verse that links to our song in a profound way, but it also acts as a sort of theme verse for the entire letter to the Romans. Let's read it. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, we will absolutely get into the context of this scripture to bring the best level of understanding possible. But before we do, I really want to ponder or meditate on a couple of questions. The first is, why would we be ashamed of the gospel? And a related question, what makes a person feel ashamed? Now, meditation is actually a Bible interaction tool exercise that I often use I wish I used it more, actually, because it helps me slow down and think. In fact, it's in the purpose statement on my website. I feel like my lane that God has placed me in is to inspire others to discover and meditate on God's Word. Now, I call my Bible Interaction Tool Exercises Bites, B-I-T-E for short. These are just habits that I use to interact with God's Word. And the word meditation might throw up some red flags for some of you because of the connotations of the practices of Eastern religion. Fortunately for us, they don't have the corner on the true definition of meditation. So to meditate on something, you, you ponder it. You contemplate its meaning. I love the word you ruminate. <laughs> 
You think deeply about it. You mull it over. I often say you let it roll around in your head a bit. So let's do this as it relates to the idea of being ashamed. Now, I made a quick list of answers to the question, what makes a person feel shame? You will come up with your own uh, answers to this, but here's a few that I came up with. My very first one was we're afraid of rejection. And isn't that funny? It has nothing to do with how we feel about the subject matter. It's about being accepted by others. I have a high school daughter and she, let's say she's ashamed of her date uh, if her friends reject him, right? So she might have agreed to go with him. She may even really enjoy his company, but feelings of shame could come anyway if her friends don't approve. Now, luckily for her, she hasn't had that experience yet, for the record. That was just merely an example. Now, somewhat related, we feel shame when we look foolish, So have you ever been woefully overdressed or underdressed for an event? We may feel shame if we feel foolish. I feel obliged to say if we feel foolish, because I've been to an LSU game where people looked foolish, but they didn't feel any shame because there was no shame in looking foolish for their beloved Tigers. More on that in a bit. So feeling alone can bring feelings up, can bring on feelings of shame. There's a comfort in the crowd and a sense of belonging. But when you're alone, shame can rear its ugly head. We all want to feel wanted and accepted, and that can cause us to feel shame when we're not. So let's shift to a more spiritual consideration of feelings of shame. It makes me wonder if our fear of feeling ashamed keeps us from fully trusting God's plan. Our avoidance systems keep us from the blessing that might be available to us in the midst of the discomfort. And then next, when we are more influenced by what others think of us than what God thinks of us, that can lead to those feelings of shame. Our perspective is not God's and our perception of the circumstance becomes flawed. Now, ultimately, when we are ruled by fear of looking foolish, perhaps we don't fully comprehend the gospel. So let's remedy that by moving from pondering and meditating on what it is to be ashamed to pondering and meditating on the context in which this verse sits. So context is another bite, another Bible interaction tool exercise, because as you will see, while our thoughts so far on being ashamed are valid, they're worth exploring. They really shine in light of the scripture around it. This way, we don't go off and take that verse out of context in which the author intended it when he wrote it. Okay, so let's back up to the first few verses of Romans. Um, I'm going to take on the first seven because Paul is known for his run-on sentences. (laughs) I'm going to take a deep breath and dive in because it's seven verses for one sentence. You ready? All right. (gasps) Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay, that was one whole sentence. All right, so because that was one sentence and it's seven verses, let's use the bite of slowing down and to really make some observations, which is another bite. And I recommend you write down your observations as that will really assist in the slowing down part and the processing about what you're really reading. Also, for some reason, it just makes things clearer, okay? So first, let's go back up to the beginning of those seven verses. Paul is the author of this letter to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. That's in verse one and in verse seven. So how does Paul describe himself? Well, he calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. All right, so those are three things that we learn about Paul. And then Paul shifts from describing himself to describing the gospel. So how does Paul describe the gospel? Well, he says it was promised beforehand by God, delivered through the prophets, and written in holy scriptures. So that's very interesting because the gospel, of course, is the good news about Jesus Christ. And so we learn a lot right here, just those three items by slowing down, looking at the verses, and writing it out. All right, now the subject of the gospel is God's son. And we learn stuff stuff about him too, right? He says, uh, Paul writes about how he is descended from David in the flesh. And he's declared to be the son of God through resurrection. So now this is a supreme tenet of the Christian faith. Jesus is fully God and fully man and is declared so here among other places in scriptures. But I don't want you to miss it that he was declared the son of God through resurrection. And then what is the son's name? Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. So just by slowing down, making some observations and writing it down, we've learned a lot already. Now, what has this gospel brought to us? He says grace and apostleship. Now, an apostle is a messenger. He's an ambassador or and she's a representative commissioned to carry the message. And in this case, the message is the gospel. Okay, so the gospel brings to us grace and apostleship. So in other words, purpose (laughs) and this the grace and the assignment were to lead us to obedience of faith. That's interesting. For whose sake? Not our sake, the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. For what purpose? For the nations to hear. All right, here's the point in your study where you might ask, so what? Well, for starters, we've taken a slower, deeper look at the gospel, who it's about, when it was given, what it has done for us. This should help us as we respond to God's call in our own lives to share the gospel. And it will also give us insight as to why we should not be ashamed of it, as we'll continue to discover as we keep reading. Technically, we could stop here and you would have a whole week's worth of pondering, just thinking about all those things that you wrote down, just slowly picking apart the verses. There's a lot in there, but I'm going to go on for the sake of this podcast. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 
that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. All right, so this is just a, it's beautiful to see how he cares for the people he's writing to. I really want to um, focus in on verses 14 and 15. It says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, here's a fun fact. The word barbarians was a reference to non-Greek speaking people. Um, I don't know why. When I think of barbarians, I just think of like Vikings or something. So that's not what he was talking about. To the Greek ear, someone who did not speak the Greek language uh, sounded like they were babbling. And so it, uh, it, they, they felt like it, they were just saying bar, 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 bar. <laughs> so they called them barbarians. I thought that was interesting. Uh, now, and then when I followed the bite of looking at the Greek word for obligation, because he says, I, I'm under obligation to these people. Um, I found that it means a debtor or someone who owes. So Paul's indicating here that he owes something or feels a sense of obligation to the Greek and the non-Greek speaking people, to the wise and the foolish. Because of his role as apostle, remember ambassador, carrying this message, this servant of Christ carrying the message of the gospel, he feels indebted to them. Let's jump back to the thoughts that we began with. We want to be seen in the best light and we want those we love to be seen in the best light, right? That's how we avoid those feelings of of being ashamed. But that's not the example we're given in Paul. How did Paul consider others? Did he consider them with disdain? No, he considered them with debt, like an obligation towards them. And we generally, uh, I think, are, are fairly can be fairly selfish, or I'm going to say I can. I'm, I can be very selfish as I look at others. I, I want to have that same sense of obligation to share this beautiful message of the gospel. And I want that to be the overriding force in my life. Let's consider 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Paul says, Jews ask for a sign. Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Isn't that interesting? So we want to be seen in the best light. We want to be, we want others that we love to be seen in the best light. And yet we know that this message that we're going to be bringing is going to be considered foolish or a stumbling block, even as it was to Paul as he shared the gospel message. Paul had a debt to pay to Jews and Greeks and barbarians, but most of them, as today, did not want his message of love and grace and hope. It was foolishness and a stumbling block. So with that kind of backdrop, there was one truth that overrode all feelings of shame, and that was found in our our main verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So Paul's sense of debt to lead others to the saving grace of Christ overrode his fear of rejection, feeling foolish, being alone, or anything else that might lead to feelings of shame. 
The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, and that is all that matters. Now, Jesus, too, had to endure shame, and I think we would be remiss if we did not consider how he responded to shame. And I want to jump over to Hebrews chapter 12. Just the first three verses tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So how did Jesus handle the shame? This version says he scorned it. Other versions say despised. Some others even say disregarded it. A closer look at the Greek word for scorned or despised. And we see that basically Jesus saw the shame of the cross as insignificant compared to the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him, the salvation that his death on the cross would offer us caused the profound shame that he endured to pale in comparison. Now, this does not mean that he did not endure shame. He did. And we also will endure shame. But it is insignificant compared to the beauty and the power of salvation. Shamed, but not ashamed. Now, don't be confused as you continue reading in Romans chapter 1, and and I really, really challenge you to do that. Right after this profound declaration by Paul, he gives this exposition of sin. And Paul's approach to the gospel begins with the bad news of man's sin and God's wrath. Just keep reading. You will see it. It's hard to appreciate the good news of the gospel unless you fully understand just how wicked and needing of a Savior we are. Now, be careful in the environment of our culture today, inside and outside of the church, when only part of the gospel is preached. It may seem counterintuitive, but your appreciation of the salvation offered is greater when your understanding of your sin is greater. Now, the Bible, by the way, is not optional. Instagram theology is not complete. God's truth will step on your toes. You'll stay in it. It's going to step on your toes, and it should. It should change the way you think. 1 Timothy 4.3 warns us that there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. As you continue to read in Romans chapter 1, you may feel uncomfortable. If you're like me, I felt uncomfortable. I want to challenge us all. Why would we ever be ashamed of the gospel, but not be ashamed of our sin? So what's next? Well, read Romans chapter 1 in context. Do the whole thing, all right? Slow down. Make some observations, write them down, and as you work your way through these verses, if a a word jumps out at you, spend some time meditating on it. Um, Let some things roll around in your head a bit. Set it down. Consider it. Go back to it. Uh, And then consider what makes you more ashamed, the gospel or your sin, 
and then see how that might change how you respond to God's call on a day-to-day basis in, um, in, in sharing the gospel with others. All right, so while you're in God's Word this week, would you let me know how you're doing? Email me, michelle at michellekneesat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Facebook, and we can talk about what you're learning. A couple of my listeners did that this week, and I loved interacting with them. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank the premier Christian music streaming service, TheOverflow.com, for pointing their subscribers to this podcast. But more importantly, pointing them to God's word through music. Now, when you subscribe to their trial, you will receive a 10-day series of devotions I wrote based on some of my most popular podcast episodes. So I encourage you to check them out at TheOverflow.com. Now, I want to thank my newest subscribers to my website, like Marangelis from Illinois, Lindsay from Louisiana, and Music City from Washington, Beth from North Carolina, Elizabeth from New Zealand, Millie from Louisiana, that's my grandma, hi grandma, uh, Zane from Louisiana, Prodigy from Louisiana, Clay from Louisiana, Courtney and Elizabeth from Louisiana, Nick from Ghana, Danielle from Alabama, and Nisa from the Philippines. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website will benefit from an email that I send out once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, tablet, desktop, or you can print it out. And you get an email recap of the week's episode and instant access to any of the extra resources that I create for my episodes from time to time. And all of that is just my way to say thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, don't miss an episode of my podcast. You can subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher Radio or follow me on Spotify. And while you're there, would you leave me a written review and a star rating? This not only encourages me, but helps me stay visible to new listeners. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Just like Wendy from Idaho, she writes, Thank you, Michelle, for these podcasts. Music with God's Word is one way or part of worship that I love that you're showing us ways to dig into the Word a little deeper with fresh and new ideas. Thanks, Wendy. It truly is my honor. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using All My Hope by Crowder to jump into Scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 212. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.